First Corinthians. We're going to First Corinthians chapter ten. First Corinthians chapter ten. Um, I knew I was going to preach this message for uh, for for a few weeks, and um, I don't know. Maybe the enemy knew that I was preaching this message for a few weeks too. Um, he just came after me. Anybody? Anybody? Enemy been coming after him lately? Maybe it's just me. Um, but he ain't going to win. I'll tell you that much. Let's go. Second, First uh, Corinthians. First Corinthians, chapter ten. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. He said this. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Notice this passage of Scripture doesn't say you won't be tempted. Notice this passage of Scripture doesn't say everything's going to be good, great, and easy. That's what I wish it said. I wish I could go back and change the Bible and, and, and give you something different. But what it says, it says that no temptation, there's nothing that has overtaken you except what is common to man. What I'm telling you tonight is if you're going through it, look around. Somebody else has gone through it. You may feel like you're the only one, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself and preaching a little, but I just feel it in this moment that there's nothing that has overcome us except which is common to man. If you're going through it, somebody else is going through it. If you've gone through it, somebody else has been there. But God, my God, my God, my God, you're faithful. And you're not going to allow me to be tempted beyond what I can bear. But with the temptation, you also make a way of escape that I will be able to bear it. Lord, open every ear, open every heart, open every mind to receive of your word. Change us and challenge us tonight. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Marcus Luttrell, who was um, a Navy SEAL, he wrote a book called Lone Survivor. And in this book, he details the deadliest day in Navy SEALs history. And it was about a battle that took place in Afghanistan where more than 20 Navy SEALs died in a firefight. And Marcus was the lone survivor. In his book, he not only details the accounts of that day in Afghanistan, but he also details the accounts of training camp, of Navy SEALs training camp, and what they would go through and everything that they endured. And he would talk about for how two months that they were put through rigorous training where they're broken down, and in fact, only two-thirds actually make it through the training camp. Less than two-thirds make it through the training camp. And then it comes time, if they didn't think all that was bad, they, they go through the training, it's difficult, it's hard, it's challenging. It's, in fact, one of the most challenging feats uh, that there is. It all comes down to this week called Hell Week. And in this week, they barely feed these men anything. 
They allow them to become sleep deprived. They put them in and out of the cold California surf. And they're pushed to their physical limits. Marcus recalls that a, that a drill instructor telling him that they're not interested in breaking your body. They're interested in breaking your mind. He said, your body can deal with a lot, but if we can get to your mind and break your mind, we have one. And at training camp, there's a bell similar to the one that I have here on stage. And he said that at any time during the training camp, that any one of the men that was in this camp could break rank. They could walk over to this bell. They could take their helmet off. They would place their helmet at the base and they could ring the bell. And at the ringing of the bell, they've exercised what they would call their quit option. No questions would be asked. No judgment was cast. They would simply walk over, ring the bell, head to a warm shower, a warm meal, and then they'd be taken back to wherever they were stationed previously. And so in the back of their mind, the whole time as they're, they're training, it's almost like a, a psychological warfare, that they know that there's this option to quit a judgment-free option to quit, to give up, to throw in the towel, that all I have to do is walk over, ring this bell, and all of this can be done with. In the middle of hell week, if, if I'm tired of, of being put in and out of the cold water and the waves crashing over us, and if I'm tired of the sleep deprivation and, and being hungry, all I have to do is walk right over to this bell, ring the bell, and I can exercise my quit option. Marcus tells in, in this book, he tells about one of the young men that was there. And he said that this young man, they knew that he was a, a leader of leaders. They knew that when they were all said and done, that he would be an incredible commander, that he would be one of the leaders that they would all look to and that one day they would all answer to that he was the strongest of all of them, that he was the smartest of all of them, that he had everything that it took to be a leader. And one day as they were training, he broke rank and he took his helmet off and he was headed to the bell. Marcus said that some of the others went to one of the drill instructors and said, can you please stop him? Can you please talk him in to just stay in? Don't let him ring that bell. You know what's in him. I know what's in him. You know the leader that he is. Please don't let him ring the bell. And the drill instructor told him, he said, what we have found is that if you will talk them back into it, they won't stay anyway that you can't talk them into not quitting. And so he said, if anybody ever breaks rank and heads towards that bell, we will not talk them out of it. Why? Because it's a mental battle. And Marcus said that on that day, he made up in his mind that he had to remove the quit option. He said it was in that day that he realized is that if he left the quit option as a, uh, 
as a choice in his mind that he would eventually exercise the quit option. And so in his mind, he had to erase the bell. He had to erase the option of even quitting and giving up because he knew that if in his mind it was an option, he would quit. He had to remove the quit option. Come on today in this church, we got to remove the quit option. We have to eliminate the thought that going back to our old way of life is an option. We got to remove the quit option. Because maybe your old way of life is calling out to you. Maybe old habits, old addictions, old relationships are calling out to you. Maybe they're calling out to you to exercise the quit option. Your option to quit and give up on your relationship with God. Because what Satan will try to do is he'll try to convince you that you'll be more satisfied in your old way of life. The thing that God delivered you out of and that if you'll just go back to it and give in to the temptation, then you'll be so much happier. He'll try to convince you that your newfound freedom you have found in Christ is not freedom at all and that you should give up on everything that he has helped you become and the godly man or woman that you have become and he just wants you to exercise the quit option. But I love what Philippians says. Look at this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but what I do, watch. I focus on this, what? How many things? One thing. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Because the problem is, is that we want to hold on to our past life. We want to we hold on to an option of, of what lies behind us, the former life, the former things. And we want to just, and we can't look here and look here. We can't be going, oh, I might go back. I'm going to keep this as an option and I'm going to, listen, if I would have married Shannon and said, but hey, I'm going to keep some options on the side, what do you think she would have said? She'd have been like, uh, no. Because it's not an option. And we can't be looking at the past life and holding on to the past life and going, okay, but I'm going to press forward. What happens? We're still holding on to this. And if we're still holding on to this, guess what? We can't press forward. But he said, this one thing that I do, I turn my back on my past and I look for it. I focus my eyes ahead and I press forward to the things that are ahead because the things that are behind, God delivered me and brought me out of those things for a reason. So God, I look to the things that are ahead and I have removed the quit option. I focus on this one thing. And if we're focused on the past, if we're focused on the things or, or, you know, maybe I will go back to the bottle. Maybe I will go back to the pills. Maybe I will go back to the whatever it was. Maybe I will go back. No, I won't. God, I'm looking to the things ahead. I'm focusing on you. I've removed the quit option. I'm not going back. God, you are my only thing. Because I press on to reach the end of the race and receive, what do I receive? I receive the heavenly prize for which God has called us through Christ Jesus. 
If I keep holding on to the past, I'm never going to move forward. If we keep letting thoughts of giving up and, and going back to the bondage of sin, then we're never going to move forward. I can't hold on to the past and press forward. I have, listen to me, I have to remove the quit option here. It starts here. It starts in my mind. It starts in my heart. I've got to eliminate it here, and I have to eliminate it here, that it's not even an option. And if it's not an option, then guess what? I never look back to the past. I just keep looking forward. Watch how James said it. Y'all hear me quote this a lot, but you're going to hear it again. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Come on, somebody say grow. Growing is not always fun. Growing is sometimes painful. Growing, some, that's why they call them growing pains because when you grow sometimes it hurts and when you're growing into a new season and when God is changing you sometimes you experience growing pains but what I got to tell you is to keep going it said so let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed you will be perfect and complete and needing nothing come on aren't you ready for that day aren't you ready for the day that you're perfect and complete and you're not needing anything that you look so much like Christ and let me tell you when that is it's not here on earth okay so don't get your you're all like oh yeah man I'm going to be perfect one day you will be perfect one day but it's not going to be in this time and there's going to come a day when when we get that heavenly prize that Philippians talked about and I'm not going to have any worry and I'm not going to have any care but until then, I'll let him perfect me as much as he can here on this earth. But one day I'm going to step out of this flesh suit and step into heaven and I'm going to be made like him. But when I read this in James, what I see is I see a hell week, if you will. I see a hell week when our faith is tested. And maybe you've been through weeks where you felt like this is hell. There's no way I can keep going. There's no way I can keep pressing. There's no way I can keep pushing. It's in those moments that you have to be determined to keep going. We've got to remove the quit option. I, uh, I preached this message at a, at a series of, of youth camps about two or three years ago. And as I was out in my garage, I was, I was building the, the bell. And my next door neighbor, uh, who's a service member, he came over. Uh, Scott, is Scott here tonight? Where are you? Is Scott here? No, he's not here. It's all right. Um, and, and so Scott came over, and we were talking in, in the garage. And, and his best friend is a, is a former Army Ranger. And, um, and he was telling me, he said, you know, he said, the time that people will quit when they go to these special forces camps he said that the time that they will quit is in the middle of the night or at lunch he said these these guys they'll, they'll all go to lunch he said and then when they come back to formation one of them's missing one of them is gone in lunch they got isolated all by themselves and they just decided i'm gone he said that they would wake up in the morning and that a bed would be empty and that somebody had just decided, I can't do this. I can't take it. They got in their head. They got in their thoughts. They got in their mind and they packed up and left. And this is what he told me. He said this. He said, quitting happens in isolation. Quitting happens in isolation. 
And number one thing that we have to do is we have to resolve in our heart and in our mind that we've removed the quit option. But number two, what we've got to do is surround ourselves with people who have also resolved in their heart and in their mind that they've removed the quit option so that when we come to a point that maybe even we're considering going back, that our friends gather around us and say, there's no way we're going back to our old life. There's no way that we're quitting. There's no way that we're giving up. We have to surround ourselves because quitting has happens in isolation because they would go to lunch and, and, and somebody would get alone and get in their head and, and get in their thoughts and then they would just leave. But how many of you know we need each other? We can't do this Christian walk alone. It can't be done by ourselves. If we try to do it in isolation, it will most definitely lead to failure. We remove the quit option by surrounding, surrounding ourselves with people who've also removed the quit option. Because if quitting happens in isolation, then guess what? Victory happens in numbers. That's why I believe in the church. That's why I believe in small groups. That's why I believe that the church is just not a destination or an event on a Sunday night. This can't just be an event for you. This is our community. These are the people that we do life with. These are the people that come alongside of us. It's the church is not a building. The church is not a rented space. That's not the church is not these chairs or the carpet or the stage. The church is the body of believers that comes together and we are the church and we come arm in arm and we go, I'm not going to let you fall. The person on our right and our left, I'm not going to let you back down or quit. And when, and when I'm weak and I want to fall and I want to give up, I've got somebody coming alongside of me and holding me up and strengthening me and encouraging me to keep going. Victory happens in numbers. Ecclesiastes 4.12 said it this way, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. Isolation. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Come on, I need people that got my back. We need a church that has each other's back, not that's going to turn on each other and talk about each other and gossip about one another. No, man, if you're going through it, I got your back. I'm there with you. I'm going to be in the fight with you. I'm going to be praying with you. I'm going to be warring with you. I'm going to be battling with you. I'm going to be right there at your, I got your back. And that's what we need is a church that will say victory happens in in numbers and we got each other's back. Rather than retreating from the church, we need to run to the church. And again, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about our friends I'm talking about our small group. I'm talking about our women's group. I'm talking about our Thursday morning men's group. I'm talking about our Saturday morning men's group. I'm talking about I'm running to the guys. I'm running to the guys that that I know are going to be there, have my back, pray for me, cover me. I'm running to my marriage group. I'm running to whatever your group and your community is, there's victory in numbers. Don't run from the church. Run to the church. Because I love the way that Hebrews says it. It says, consider him who endured such opposition. When when you're in the middle of your hell week, when you're in the middle of all that just, it just seems like it's the end of the world. How many of you have been there? Come on, be real. Like you just, this is it. I I can't do anymore. I can't keep going. I, I, I don't feel like doing anything. I just, I'm so under attack. I can't do Consider him 
Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When you're in the midst of it, think of Jesus. Who in the garden, so troubled that he, his sweat turned to blood. Whom that when he was hanging on the cross, he had enough strength to look at those who crucified him and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Consider him who was strapped to a whipping post and was beaten 39 times. Consider him who, after he was beaten, took up his cross and he carried it up a hill. And while he was carrying it, the crowd mocked him and spat on him. Consider him that after he carried the cross, that they then nailed him to that cross and that he hung on that cross for you and for me. When we're going through it, consider Jesus so that I will not grow weary and lose heart. Because God, you know what it is to suffer. You know what it is to experience pain and, and hurt. Because if we're all honest, all hell has been fighting against marriages. All hell has been fighting against us on our jobs. Maybe in the life of your kids. The enemy's been coming at us from every angle, trying to convince us that it's not worth it. Church, it's worth it. Church, he is worth it. The enemy will try to come in and whisper in your ear, give up on going to church, give up on prayer, give up on the power of the word, give up on God, give up on that marriage, give up on that child, give up on that situation, give up on it. But I would just... I would just encourage you tonight, remove the quit option. In your heart, in your mind, remove the quit option. In your marriage, remove the quit option. Don't even let the word divorce be a word that's uttered in your home. Remove the quit option. In, in sickness, in health, in good and bad, remove the quit option. If you're moving out, I'm coming with you. I don't know where you're going. What hotel are we staying? Are we going to the Omni tonight? I don't know. Where are we going? If you're going, I'm going. You're sleeping in the car? Great. I'm sleeping in the car too. You're mad and you're going on a walk? I'm going with you too. Let's go. It's not an option. Remove the quit option. Man, when a kid is going crazy, don't give up on them. Keep loving them. Remove the quit option. Man, if they're addicted to drugs and everything else, keep loving them and remove the quit option. Be there. Remove anger. If Jesus can look down from a cross and say, forgive them for they know not what they do, can't we remain a posture of humility and mercy and grace towards those who have wronged us? Because Hebrews 10.39 says that we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. You know, we just came through this series of, of the seven churches. And, you know, we came to the very last section of every letter, and it would be the promise. And at the beginning of the promise, it would say something like, to the ones who are faithful, 
to the ones who endure, to the ones who last, to the ones that hold true. It's kind of what this verse is saying, but we're not going to be like those that turn from God in the hard times, in the battle, in the fight. We're not going to be like that. No, we're not going to turn away from God or turn away from God and turn back to our destruction. No, God, I'm running to you. I've got to learn to cling tighter. I've, I've got to learn to cling tighter to God in the fight. I've got to learn to cling tighter to God in the hard times and in the battle and in the struggle. And when the enemy comes in, recognize, hey, the enemies come in and, and I need to, I need to rise up and pray. And I've got to, I, there's no quit option. There's no going back. There's no giving up. Listen to this. Only 90% of pastors will make it to retirement without leaving the ministry. The devil is working overtime to take out pastors and leaders, to take out the church, because he knows that we are holding and pushing back the darkness in the earth. In 2019, 4,500 churches closed their doors. Now, 3,000 churches opened that year, but that still leaves us with 1,500 churches that closed. And they've said that even since 2020, that that number has gone up. They haven't redone this survey, but that that number has gone up, that churches are closing their doors left and right, that pastors are folding up and saying, I can't do this. I, I, I can't take the opposition anymore. But Restoration Church, we're going to be a church that just says the quit option is not an option. It's not enough. We don't quit. We're not giving up. We're not backing down. We're, we're not going to get away from the fight, but we're going to continue to press forward. We're going to continue to believe we're going to continue to pursue the mission and the call that is on our life as a church and we are removing the quit option come on somebody say amen i want the band to go ahead and come back i think about job and i think about all that that job went through he lost his family and all his possessions his friends showed up and, and told him to curse god and die he got deathly sick, and yet Job didn't give up on God. He kept fighting, and in the end, God blessed him double and more than double for all that he went through. And for staying consistent, Job removed the quit option. I think about Joseph and how he was sold into slavery by his brothers. I think about how he was falsely imprisoned. I forget, uh, I think about how he was forgotten about and rejected and lied to and cheated. And yet he never gave up on God. He removed the quit option. And what about Paul? He wrote this in 2 Corinthians. He said, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in, per in perils among false brethren, in weariness and in toil and sleeplessness in sleeplessness often, in hunger, in thirst, in fasting often, in cold, 
and nakedness. And Paul said, I've removed the quit option. You tried to beat it out of me, I removed the quit option. You try to freeze me out of it, I removed the quit option. You try to lock me up in prison so I would give up, and I removed the quit option. Let me tell you about 11 other guys that removed the quit option. The disciples, the apostles, the 12 that Jesus picked, minus one, minus Judas. Listen to this, Simon Peter, he was crucified upside down on a cross because he said, I can't be crucified the same way Jesus was. He removed the quit option. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross, not nailed but tied upside down. And the whole time he kept preaching the gospel. Why? Because he removed the quit option. James, the son of Zebedee, he died after he was beheaded by King Herod. He removed the quit option. John, the beloved, he was boiled and exiled to the island of Patmos, but he never removed the quit option. Philip died in Hierapolis by hanging. He removed the quit option. Bartholomew, he was flayed to death by knives in India. Matthew was a martyr in Ethiopia. Thomas was killed with a spear. Thaddeus was martyred in Persia and died via arrows. Simon the Zealot, tradition says that he was crucified. These men removed the quit option. But I want you to think about this. There was a moment for them. There was a moment in time where they had to mentally, spiritually, Emotionally make a shift. It's not an option. And I believe that moment happened after the cross. Because the Bible says that when those soldiers came in the garden, that all the disciples scattered. That Peter was found by a fire denying Christ. But there was a shift when on a Sunday morning, a stone was rolled away and Jesus got out of the grave. There was a shift that happened in their hearts. There was a shift that happened in their minds. They said, there's no way that if my God, if my Savior was willing to die to bring grace and salvation and redemption to the world, that I will give up on the message that he died to take around the world. And in that moment, they said, I am removing the quit option. There's no way that I'm taking my helmet off and laying it and ringing that bell. I've eliminated the quit option out of my vocabulary. It's not an option in my heart. It's not an option in my mind. I have removed the quit option. Galatians 6, 9 says this, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we what? If we do not give up. Come on, tonight, let's seal it in our hearts. Let's seal it in our minds that we're not giving up, that we're not throwing in the towel. Can you stand on your feet with me? Fight the good fight of true faith.
hold tightly to eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Thank you, God, for strength to keep going. Thank you, God, for strength for the fight. We lay our option to quit down at your feet tonight. May tonight be a defining moment for many in this place. Maybe there's some of you that need to say ending my life is, is not an option. I'll remove that option off of the table. Maybe for some of you that walked in here, maybe that, maybe that was a, a real place that you've lived. And tonight you need to say, it's, it's, I'm removing the quit option. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe divorce has kind of been your plan B. Maybe it's something that you've been contemplating about. Maybe you've even looked up lawyers online. Remove the quit option out of your marriage. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's on God and you've just said, God, I can't keep doing this. I'm going back to drugs. I'm going back to alcohol. I'm going back to pills. I'm going back to pornography. I'm going back to whatever it is. Remove the quit option. I'm not going back to my old way of life. I'm pressing ahead. I'm looking to you. I'm reaching to the future. Come on, whatever it is, can you just Will you just kind of as an act of surrender, can we just lift our hands and just say, God, I'm yours. And just for a moment, you talk to God. I'm not telling you for a moment, you talk to God. You need to, you need to tell some God's, God some stuff. Come on, talk to him, talk to him. We need you, God. We need you, Jesus. We need your strength. We need your power. We need you in our lives, God. We got to have you, Jesus. We got to have you, God. We got to have you. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We need you, God. If we're going to make it, it's only going to come by your power. It's only going to come by your might, your strength. Only going to come by your spirit. I don't have it in me, God. It's only going to come from you, God, from your power. So fill us tonight. Fill us tonight with a fresh passion for our spouse, for you, for the church, for prayer, God, for your word. We need you. 